0: Welcome to a genre-defining edition of ARG Presents. I'm your good buddy, your good pal, your family-friendly chum, Amigo Aaron. Joined by a man that, I don't know, he's sort of family-friendly. I'll give you the Brent. The debauchery. There it is. (laughs) What's in that bottle, yo? Nothing but rum. I knew it, yeah. (laughs) So, Brent, it's good to see you this morning. It's a bright, happy, cheery morning here. Uh, in, in West by God, Virginia. In fact, it's raining. And so we decided to go remote to uh, save you the uh, uh, the pain in the ears of hearing rain patter off of the studio roof. Plus, I do melt in the rain. Correct. But don't let that uh, fool you. We're bringing the heat, brother. Because we, last week we spun the wheel. We made the deal. This is the genre-defining deal, Brent. As we yes. look at, bam, games that defined their genres. A, uh, this is a big one, uh, Britt. This is games that define their genres. Now we didn't really make up any specific rules on this. I guess you really can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it, 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 <laughs> I've had up to here with your rules. Oh yeah, you're you're telling me. You're telling me that, uh, Britt. When when this came up, uh, what what popped into the old brain uh, cells when uh, you had to look at what we were going to be tackling this week? Instantly, my game. Instantly. It, yeah, you did it. I mean, I believe you picked on the fly, didn't you? No, it was... Here's the thing. How many... There are, are a lot of genres of video games, right? Oh, man, I've I I got a listing if you're watching. I just made a big, <laughs> huge list off Wiki of all the different genres they have in there. Tons! And, and
1: it's tough to...
0: It's tough to, to find a genre
1: that stands the test of time in a way that I'm, that is uh consistent, Right? So when you have a game that really says this is how this type of game is going to be till the end of time, and it actually goes that way, that's a genre-defining game. Uh, It's difficult to narrow it down to one game in most cases. Uh, I think particularly with mine, it's it's right on the money. But when you think like first-person shooter... A lot of people point to Doom. Well, then you've got, well, what about Kafka Wolfenstein? Okay, yeah. yeah. And then you can really, you can go back from there, too. Uh, role-playing games. There's a bajillion of them. Yeah. And there's a bajillion ways to define what a role-playing game is. Yeah. Is it a game where you simply take the role of someone? Well, that's like 90% of gaming, right? Sure. I mean, unless you're making your own character, you're technically playing the role of a character. Uh, but most people don't think of it like that. They think of it as a, an adventure game where you explore as a uh, and grow as your character. Yeah. So different
0: def- levels and whatnot, skills. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. And you've got a lot of uh, points of interest when it comes to things like cra- uh, crafting games, or fishing games, or games that are. You know, what defines a platformer, for example? There's tons of ways you can define a platformer. Is it something that has to be a 3D platformer? Is it a 2D platformer? Are those separate genres of games? Uh, So I tried to go with something that I knew was unmistakable, the, the, the choice of its genre. You, I think, were a little more liberal in your definition of genre defining but i don't fault you for it
0: i don't fault you for it well, th- th- gee thanks finally vindication no i uh, <laughs> i did i i did ponder this a lot it's funny I, uh i thought about this quite a bit uh, this week this is one of those weeks uh, but i did i pondered this quite a bit and i almost went with we'll go ahead i'll go ahead and talk about what i almost did I almost went with EverQuest, uh, because I, to me, that was the game that truly defined the genre of the M- MMORPG. I know it wasn't the first, but I thought it excelled and eclipsed everything that came before it. But, and I had played EverQuest recently, if you can believe that. because of the Now, Aaron, the just out of
1: curiosity, yeah. do you think that a defining game also has to be a popular
0: game? Well, I mean, it depends, okay? Uh, there were plenty of games that you could say to find a genre that maybe were popular at the time and aren't now. Right. You know, and then, I mean, I really think that, yes, I think at some point it probably had to have been, at some point it had to have been fairly popular. I don't know, there's there's some pretty obscure, I mean, it, it depends on, it. a popular game may be popular with a certain set of people who enjoy that genre of of, uh, of gaming, so, like, for example, you may not have as many people that are into, like, horse racing strategy betting games as, say, uh, people that would be into, like, uh, something like a, a Mario 3D-type game, you know, which is going to have a lot more people. But, I mean, you can still define that genre. Just, by, you know, just it's it's defined to these small subset of people that like the genre. Does that make any sense? Sure. Yeah.
1: yeah okay, here's
0: another question for you, then. When you
1: have let's say a genre of game uh platformers right yeah do you think that to define a platformer you can go into you can go into like subgroups you know you have your two d your three d your two point fives or do you think that it has to come back to the base genre of this is a platform game where you jump from platform to platform to to progress
0: well I mean you get into that whole Uncomfortable area of just trying to give everything a label at some point, you know, and and, and arguing about what the label is. But you know, I I did, I, I don't like to look at the minutiae. I'm more of a, like a category guy, like okay. it, as a whole. So if you're saying like, okay, what was the definitive, I don't know, running gun game, or what's the definitive twin stick shooter, you know, stuff like that, I'll buy that. But if you get into the what's the definitive twin stick uh, shooter. That is vertically oriented, and it has a button. You know, then you're getting into a lot more minutia. Where it's not as much fun to go into that. For okay, me. so you're looking more broad. and oh, I, listen, I'm always looking at the broads, brother. But boom, boom.
1: I I tend to agree with you. I think a genre doesn't need to be drilled down so far. Uh, that I mean, if you drill down far enough, every game could be its own genre. Every yeah. game offers <laughs> yeah. something that another game doesn't offer. Yeah. So I think, broadly speaking, uh, it, you can categorize pretty much any video game into, say, 10 or 12 categories. Did, and I think that's fair. I, I think that is a, a nice classification system where you don't have to get deep in the woods, but you still get an idea of what you're getting.
0: Did, did you have anything, that, aside from what you ended up picking, that, that you thought you might... uh uh, would have considered for this category did you give it any thought yeah uh <clears throat> of course it was sort
1: of sub uh categorizing the 3D platformer uh which i in my opinion i think you have to give to uh super mario 64 while there were plenty of 3D platformers before that yeah uh i i personally believe that popular popularizing the genre is very important for it to be a genre defining game. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more more about what gets the not only the public excited, but the developers decide, excited to say, "I love the concept of this, but I want to put my own spin on it," and really. I think, really, the developer side of it is almost more important than the player side of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I
0: think... Do that's you a, tend not to agree with that? No, I'll go with that, you know. But again, you're, you you could sit here and argue about this stuff all, all day long. Uh, but uh, one thing's for sure, though. I think, uh, and we're going to start with you today, because I really... Uh, there, I think there's a little argument in, the, in saying that the game you picked is absolutely a game uh, that defined the genre because i think you picked one that uh, really you can't i don't think you could argue uh, uh, that what tell the people what you picked up this week brent
1: i i went back to the uh the 80s aaron for a little game called rogue or if you want to get deep into it rogue exploring the dungeons of doom Mm. this is a game that has an incredible history, and I want to get into just a little bit of it. Uh, this was created by Michael Toy and Glenn Wichman. Uh, they were the main creators, and it was one of the classic met in college and kind of hit it off story where one was strong in coding and one was strong in design and concept. And they put their powers together, and started on mainframes, which you know, back in the '80s—that's or really pre-'80s, the the or late '70s—that's how you had to do your programming. Uh, so they went to—they the, were in college, and they saw video games, and they started making games for each other to play to learn their skill, to hone their craft, and they kept running into the same problem. They would make a game. And the other one would play it. And they would say, you know, I like this game. I like what this is doing. But I've played it now. There's nothing else for me to experience with this game. I know what's going to happen. I know where the twists and turns are. And now this is, I'm done with it. There's nothing else I can do with it. So they sat down they said, we need to find a game, or create a game I should say, that eliminates that ...point of failure for games. Where there is an end point... ...where there is something that says... ...there's nothing else to excite me about this... ...I've done it all. And they started looking at procedurally generated... ...games. Events. Things that weren't just set in stone... ...it just gave the... the, uh, ...canvas for the game... ...and then the game kind of wrote itself as you played it. And that was how Rogue... ...kind of came into existence. And they... Put their game together, and in the very base of the game, the very beginning, it was rooms of various sizes. You could run into various monsters, uh, and the game played out sort of like a D&D session. You would collect your gold. You had a quest that uh, you were going after this scroll. But every time you started the game, your stats were different. Your starting equipment was different and the dungeon you were in was different. What you ran into could be different every time you started the game. And this really caught on. Uh It was something that they said that the cycles, the computer cycles spent playing this game uh was so far and beyond anything else that, that the mainframe was doing that it actually bogged down the mainframe at points. So they knew they had... A hit on their hand but they didn't they weren't interested in monetizing it they just wanted they made a game they what they're glad people enjoyed it and then they kind of uh built off of it until unfortunately one of them failed out of school Uh, they were putting so much time into tinkering with this (laughs) <laughs> uh, the designer failed out of school. And I the, know that feeling. You play the feel, were... like
0: a game until you fail out of college. <laughs> I, that sounds familiar. <laughs> and and uh, uh, Toy kept at
1: it, kept building the code up, was still in school, and they still tried to collaborate, uh, but they grew apart. There started to be become distance between them. And Troy, or Toy kept working with the game. ...started adding more equipment, more weapons, uh, a lot of magic elements. The ability to have scrolls and stuff that were never defined, so they'd be different every game. Just because you picked up a white potion in one game, it might heal one game and then hurt you the next game. So they kept refining this, and they kept uh, uh, bringing new people on, and eventually... Uh, Ken Arnold joined the team, and he was someone that really said, you know, let me add more elements to this game to expand what you already have, and he did to the point where this was now a commercially viable game. And they started kind of feeling out there to see who wanted to take it up, but now you're in the mid, you know, early to mid-80s, the main code for the game that was on the original mainframe was out there. Everyone had played it. So they tried to do a commercial release of the game, and they teamed up with Epix, and it didn't go well. Uh, I was actually surprised to learn this game was never a commercial success. Some people blame that it was never put into stores, because it wasn't. It was all mail order. Um... And other people said, well, why would I buy this game when I can play it for free? And they made it for a couple different systems, the biggest being on the Macintosh. uh, And then other people started spreading out, putting it on systems like uh, the Amiga, the Amstrad CDC, uh, the Atari ST, Commodore. A lot of people took their concept, took their idea and made their owns for different systems, calling it the same thing. But they never saw the royalties for a lot of those ports. At the end of the day, they pretty much made the money back that they put into it, uh, which I found incredibly surprising. That is surprising. And, I
0: figured they'd make a few bucks. because you know, No, no
1: they, the the uh, profits on this were were very low. And it didn't help that the game reviewed middling. It was middling. And this is after they went through and put in actual graphics and tried to spice the game up so it didn't look like a uh, mainframe game. Because when this game first came out, of course, it was just ANSI art. They could only use the characters that the machine could produce to play the game. And some people think that was the failing. They tried to take it too far. And when you got graphics involved, it took away the imagination. I don't personally think that was the, the nail in the coffin. <clears throat> but then Rogue kind of went away. But what Rogue did was spawned a whole genre of games um, where <laughs> the main core was everything was procedurally generated. Uh, nothing was the same from each time you started, and death was permanent. And the permadeath thing, Aaron, was actually very controversial even when this was playing on the mainframe. People didn't like that. People were used to being able to save the game and, and figure out a hard situation, uh, figure out a way to get past it, and people were getting frustrated because they could never beat the game. There is an ender rogue. Uh If you go down... Between 24 to 26 levels, you can actually find the scroll. And after you find the scroll, you have to bring it out of the dungeon, which means you have to go up all the levels. It got so frustrating for people, Aaron, that they actually made AIs to play Rogue 24-7. And the AI eventually ended up beating Rogue. It took it about three weeks. Uh, And this was uh, heralded as one of the first... AI game playing bots, because at its core, Rogue is very simple. It's an it's a dungeon crawl where you move around levels, uh, you pick up new equipment. Some of it is cursed, but you don't know it. Nothing is identified. You have to experiment. You have to try things. You have to drink potions that you don't know what they are. Uh, you have to read scrolls that could do a myriad of things, and the AI found not loopholes, but just through brute force was able to complete the game and other people had done it as well. But the AI was, was something that was uh, a very revolutionary for the time, but the core of the game, the uh, random starting elements, the procedurally generated environments and the permadeath is what defines a rogue genre game. And, That's kind of restricting, right? So you have your rogue likes and your rogue lights, L-I-K-E and L-I-T-E. Those are the genres that kind of spawn from rogue. And I'm not going to get deep into the woods with it because there is a lot of controversy of what what qualifies as a rogue like versus what qualifies as a rogue light. Uh and I'm not going to get into that, but some examples of games that came from it, uh, Splunky. Uh, which I know FTL, that's one of your favorites. <clears throat> FTL yeah, your Faster fan. Than Light. Uh, Binding of Isaac. Uh, Slay the Spires, another one. Uh, Hades, which was uh, released a couple years ago, that won Game of the Year for many people, is a rogue-like game. And... It's I never, amazing. I never
0: Slay the Spire is a roguelike game. I, I, sure, I guess it sort of is. Yeah, because every every map you're put on is different.
1: You don't fight monsters in any kind of order. Uh, you're, the cards that you pull are all different. So, yeah, it's definitely a roguelike. Um, getting back to Rogue, Aaron, did you play this in your youth? And if you did, what
0: did you play it on? Oh, you know I did because I'm me. Uh, and so I I I like this sort of game. Now, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn over the apple cart here. I was never a fan of this game. I was really, never, I never was, and I and I, I can tell you why. Uh, I, I there's a couple reasons I can tell you why. Number one, uh, when it when I got hold of this, I believe the first time I actually played this, it seems like my buddy had this for his uh, DOS machine or possibly for his Atari. And so, but I played it and then eventually I got it from the Coco as well. And it looked to me like a PD or, or a very rudimentary game. It wasn't, it didn't, the graphics weren't impressive. Now keep in mind, I'm not underselling what it does. I'm just telling you, young Aaron, this is young Aaron. Sure, sure. I, I looked understand. at this. I'm just like, look at this. I mean, I'm playing games that look way better than this, you know, and so just right out of the gate. In my mind, back in the day, if I saw something that looked like a PD game, it instantly went down about ten rungs. All right, number two, it was I'd play D and D and stuff, and so I always looked at games like this with under a microscope, to like as how they, because how, in comparison to what I'm doing in in uh, in the real world, Dungeons and Dragons, and I will say this one fared better than a lot. Uh, there, are, I mean, it, this actually is a does sort of tickle you're fancy if you're you're an RPGer but it for me it wasn't 100% there uh, in terms of in terms of that and so and then thirdly i thought it was a really hard game and so yes. it, it was so hard that it uh, that i was not you know how you said people were upset because there wasn't more than one life or whatever i uh, yeah i could see that uh, and of course when you're a young me you're playing this game you have no uh, uh, you have no basis in what the game is or how it works. I didn't even know the keys because I didn't know anything. Because of course we just pirated a copy of it, and so I, without any sort of reference material, it was doubly hard, you know. And so uh, it's a game I never, I never enjoyed. Uh, that much said, I, you know, I played it this week. I played, uh, I actually played the version you're looking at here. I played, the, I wouldn't just play the DOS version. Uh, and right. I also played the um, what was it? I think I played the C sixty four. No, it was the Atari Atari eight bit version. But I mean, it doesn't matter. They sort of all kind of look the same. Uh, they uh, uh, and well, until I mean, you get to
1: the graphic ones,
0: yeah. Right, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. And I didn't do any of those. I mean, listen, uh, it's a it's a fantastic piece of programming prowess that what they did here. You know, and it really uh, a lot. Of, you can see, yes, a lot of games certainly spawn from this. But I mean, even today, like I sat down and played this, I didn't do well. I never do. There's a lot of crap that, that a lot of you know. It's not what I would call the most sleek interface in gaming history. You know, again, it's it's dated by today's standards. I've played some of the things that spun out out of this back in the day, but I really didn't enjoy those either. This is just a. a uh, this is just a a, a a a bridge too far for me in terms of going back like I can't go back and play this i i did not i didn't find a whole lot of joy in playing this now I know this is much more your bag than it is mine uh and i I can certainly uh, if I had nothing else to play and I was sitting there i'm sure if if I was forced at gun to I played, I could probably grow to love it but since no one's forcing me I'm not a huge fan <laughs> to be honest with you i I I
1: completely understand. No, um, good because we have. <laughs> I'm sorry,
0: Worlds of Rogue. By the way, who's in here today watching? <laughs> He's booing me. I apologize. I, I I
1: I understand that you and I have very different takes when it comes to gaming. I mean, some things we definitely agree on. I I think we both love fighting games, for example. Um, but this is a genre of game that I absolutely love. Uh, The games I listed before, the Splunky, the FTL, uh, Binding of Isaac, I've played them all uh, dozens if not hundreds of hours of each. And I love it exactly for the element that Rogue brings to the table. I love that every game is different. I love that sometimes you get in there and you get lucky. And you get great starting equipment right off the bat. And you think, this is it this is the time I'm going to get farther, score higher than I ever have, and then the next room just screws you over, and the heartbreak that brings is something very unique to this genre of gaming. It's also
0: the—it's also not necessarily a
1: good thing, though, because well, it, it,
0: there's no ramping up or anything, and that,
1: you know... Well, no, that's not completely true. I mean, the game is not... A hundred percent random.
0: I there know what are... I'm saying. It's what I'm saying is though you could start out, like you said, you could think you I'm really going to go for it this time, and then circumstances just screw you. You know, there, right? There's it, but... it doesn't have the ability to let to hold your hand for a while, and I need a good hand holding, Brent. Maybe a smooch see, right here. It's but, hard. But see,
1: I but that element of the game, that uh, concept of the game, is something I very much enjoy. I love thinking I'm going to do well, this is it, I'm going to do great, and then fail. And I also love I hate that. taking <laughs> I, I love taking what the game gives me, and I'm like, this is horrible. Uh, I'm not going to get anywhere with this. And then making it work and, and getting farther than I ever have with just horrible starting equipment or horrible starting stats or uh, elements of the game that I'm not good at. But I take a hold of, and I, I, I twist it to my advantage, and I somehow end up doing great. Games like that are very near and dear to my heart. I really love that type of game. Uh, Rogue, in particular, uh, one of the middle school computers had this game on it, uh, one of our Ataris. And I never got to play it much, because I ended up playing Oregon Trail, which, by the way has elements of rogue in it uh oregon trail yes it's it's a more of a simulator game but it has all the round ra- random elements all the procedurally generated events that pull directly from what rogue brought to the table oh so long ago um, so i didn't have a true appreciation of rogue until the 90s uh when i started playing it in college when it was well past its prime, something I just, I can't even remember where I picked it up at. Uh, probably just, you know, when you go out there and you just download a bunch of crap, and then Rogue is an intriguing title, because, of course, played D&D for all my life. Started playing it and absolutely loved it. Um, that Although, it was short-lived because EverQuest came into the picture shortly after that, and I think I was more craving... Uh, the D&D element of it more than anything else. Yeah. But this is a genre, like I said, it has stood the test of time. Would this genre have existed if Rogue never existed? Yes. Yes. Because the core elements of Rogue, the the procedurally generated, the uh, one-life permadeath, those are things, those are concepts that would have eventually came to gaming. I don't think that they said, I don't think they went out there and said first-person shooter, right? But what they did was they con. They took those concepts and bundled them together in a way that transcended what it was and made a genre that will last well past you and I, Aaron uh, – As long as gaming exists, I believe that there is a space for it for this type of game. And even though, really, it had a resurgence uh, in the late 2010s, early 2020s, uh, you see a lot more of these type of games around now. I think this is a type of game that will go on forever. Do you think it will, or do you think that eventually the gaming public will grow out of this kind of grind?
0: Well, I look at Rogue in the same way. This is going to sound like an odd comparison, but it's a sort of like a, uh, it's sort of like a Tetris thing going on here, and that means this is a game you pick up. It's, you can put it on anything, you can play it, you can play anytime you want, and it's like a comfortable pair of shoes for a lot of people that would just hop back into this. So, and you're right, this did have a big resurgence, and I think there's a, uh, I will I'm pleasantly surprised actually that there's a newfound appreciation for a game like this. Like, hey, listen. It's not my bag, but it's not like I don't recognize the importance of it. In fact, you know, I mentioned earlier that I almost picked EverQuest to do this week, and EverQuest absolutely came right out of the uh, uh, right out of the belly of Rogue. Uh, any game like no, that. no, it didn't sure it. did no. No, I'm talking no, about... Co- completely different everything. No, no, it's I, not. Hold on, hold the on. The world on, of EverQuest up. is static. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about the. This is that. It's that D and D. Exploration—it tickles the same uh, area that a rogue does, you know. It's and that's and it. You, so you can, I think, I think you can definitely draw a line between the two. Uh, no, yeah, you're, you're,
1: you're top. You're talking subject matter,
0: not game nah, genre. Listen, listen, don't don't put me to box, brother. Uh Did you get any? I don't suppose you picked up any magazine reviews for this, did you? Or uh, uh,
1: this this was not well reviewed. Um, I think the highest score out there was in dragon magazine, yeah that gave the i b m and mac version of this a three and a half out of five stars now, uh yeah. most most other
0: uh man if uh, dragon outlets... doesn't give this five stars, you're pretty much boned that's the, <laughs> that's the, that's a the magazine you think would put this over like a million bucks uh
1: but like I said, this was not um this is not a game for everyone and i I certainly recognize that. There are certainly people out there that don't want the random element. They they want progress. They don't want an adventure every time they start the game. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is a game that now the source code is out there. Uh, anyone can play this game right now in any web browser. Easy to find. If you have never played a rogue-like game before... I don't think Rogue is really the game to start with. There are easier, more digestible Rogue-like games than Rogue. However, if you have never played Rogue before, and you have played other Rogue-like games, you owe it to yourself to go back and play the original, see what they did, see how they ramp up difficulty and see how they procedurally generate with just nothing more than anti-characters that bring such life and such uh, uh exhilaration to an experience that
0: really you can sit down and play it right now and feel just as good as you did in the 80s. Yeah, just, you know, I was thinking about this too. I remember playing this and I, as I recall I think, uh, and, uh, Rob Fleck O'Hare did a, a podcast. I believe it was a, a, like a DOS on rogue. Excellent show. You should look that up. And, uh, but I mean, you could, uh, I remember having this with, like the code, code. It was written in like basic. <laughs> so you, could, yeah. you could You could literally open it up and that's probably didn't help them, uh, their ability to not ever copied. Uh, when you could just, <laughs> that's the ultimate copyable. You just take and copyable. He's taking copy. But I, I remember, I distinctly remember getting into this messing around. So that's, that's kind of neat. It shows you the, how long ago this was. Um, we did get some uh, Discord action on this, Brent. Actually, uh, uh, for us, we've got quite a bit of Discord action on this. Our own John Bodakar Shawler chimed in, so you know he's passionate. He writes, <laughs> I have no love for the first-person dungeon crawls, but there is something about the top-down dungeon exploration formula that keeps me coming back game after game. Rogue defines itself by its procedural generation, its clear goal, and the sense of truly not knowing what is coming next. You also play Rogue with no intention of actually beating it. It's all about seeing how far you can get before you succumb to the dangers of the deep. It's sort of like a classic arcade game in that way. The game loses none of its charm with its ASCII character art. In fact, the lower res art, the the lower res the art, the more you have to rely on the theater of the mind. When a kibold is a K instead of a poorly drawn sprite, you can make it look as awesome as you want in your head. Rogue is the rare early PC DOS game that is just as much fun to play now as it was in 1983. If you want a slightly updated take that maintains the ASCII art of the original but adds neat effects like dynamic lighting, uh, Brogue should be your next stop on the train. As it, is, as it is, however, for me, Rogue is a perfect 10 out of 10. Very high praise for both. Lord Soup chimed in The Super. Rogue, I'm a huge roguelike junkie. Nowadays, the term is used for any proc gen game, it seems, but I got in on Moria and Hack. So like my yep. roguelikes, pure and old school, I revere <laughs> Rogue as the dawn of the genre. 10 out of 10. So you got two big 10 out of 10s there, Brent, uh, for Rogue. Listen, it's one of those things you likes it or you don't likes it, but even if you don't likes it, you gots to gots to respect it. Uh, because it, it, it did a lot of uh, good stuff there. Uh, excellent job, Brent. Uh, I enjoyed that, uh, and uh, now the pressure's on uh, because I'm gonna of Now I did go in a different direction, and I'm gonna pitch this. I could. I already got a little blowback from my choice, but I think I can. I think I can make <laughs> it work. All uh, right, what What'd you bring to the table? I, you know, so I thought about genre defining games. And I'm I'm going to say you could say this would be more of a redefining of the genre, which I think that would still count. But I think this thing actually sort of kind of took a genre and made its own genre out of the genre. We'll see battle what you Battle chess, think. and it's not battle chess. No, I picked Arkanoid, the original Arkanoid, uh, a game you know that uh, you everyone knows. Uh, and uh, uh, you know knows what it was, knows where knows where it came from. But I think it's an kind of interesting thing to take a look at, and I think I can make a case for it being its own genre, finding game. Now, let's just start at the beginning here. Newsflash: John, uh, Arkanoid was was uh, based on a genre that came before, and that game that made that genre spectacular was a game called Breakout. Uh, I think if you haven't heard of Breakout, you've been living in a uh, in a cave somewhere. Uh, Breakout was a game uh, made, uh, developed, and published by Atari way, way back in uh, 1976. It's the only good thing Steve Wozniak was ever involved in, uh, and it was uh, based on uh, some. Uh, it was based on the games that came before it, that were the Pong games that Atari uh, put out. Now, of course, we're gonna go. It's a deep dive when you decide who made the genre, because uh, everyone should know by now that uh, Nolan Bushnell. Stole Pong from <laughs> from from way back, but he you know when you take something that you saw and make it bigger, it's yours, right? You get to keep it. Uh, but Pong was certainly not something that originally popped out of the brain of Nolan Bushnell, and and so when you look at Pong, it's easy to make that jump into single player Pong, which is what Breakout essentially was. Yes. Uh, and you know where you knock out a lot of bricks with a ball and a paddle. Uh, it's basically one player Pong. And when when this was released, I mean, Pong was a huge success. It sort of opened up the arcades, as we know. Uh, but Breakout was a was also a huge success. Uh, it was a worldwide commercial success, in fact, and it was one of the top five highest grossing games of '76. I would assume so, but I couldn't tell you what was out in '76. It also <laughs> repeated that feat in '77. Uh, and then eventually the uh, 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 breakout came home to the Atari 2600, the VCS, in 78, and this time it was in color. It had been arc- in the arcade. They had the old uh, color overlay. Uh, and so... Viva La Raza. And Yeah, thank you. And the funny thing is, and this is something I'd forgotten, but I wanted to mention this. So, eventually, Breakout was eclipsed by Super Breakout, if you'll recall, which is basically more Breakout, right? That's right. It wasn't a huge leap. But this, I was thinking about this after I read it. I had to read this three times before I fully comprehended it. So, remember, Breakout debuted in in 76. So, uh, it had been around for four years, five, six years before the Atari 5200 came out. So, what was the official pack-in for the Atari 5200? Super Breakout which is not what I would have chosen frankly. Uh but one of the many missteps yeah. one of the many missteps in the Atari 5200's illustrious career. Uh so and really the thing that made Super Breakout different was you get multiple balls, okay? So let's flash forward. That 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 was 1982 and that was the pack in. And then really and if you were around back in these in in this era, you can you can say that this seems pretty obvious, but you, the breakout game sort of hit the wall, no pun intended, uh, and you didn't hear much about them. And so, lo and behold, uh, in Japan, uh, Taito was looking, they were just looking for something to, to to release that would be quick, because for some reason, the bat and ball thing was sort of coming back in Japan. So they said, listen, we want to we wanna develop a game. They stuck a couple guys on it. <clears throat> uh it was designed by a guy named Akira Fujita. Uh, really, his only other claim to fame as a designer was he designed Darius. If you were or Darius, but how you pronounce it, Darius. Yeah, yes. which is a pretty popular game. Uh, the other Absolutely. designer was a fellow named Hir- Hiroshi Tajino. Now he did do some stuff uh, that I enjoy. He did Cat Ash. He would design Cat Ash Ninja Warriors, and the game called Plump Pop, which I I think the, I'm going to sue over that one. And the direction <laughs> and programming of this game was done by a fellow named uh, Yasu uh, Yasumaza Sazabi. Now, this guy only did a few games as well that he programmed, which one was called The Bronze Adventure. He also did the sequel to, uh, uh, the true sequel to uh, Arkanoi, which we'll get into in a little while. Um, so, Tato was like, listen, uh, we need to get some action on this. Let's go ahead and, and jump in, Try to try to come up with something, basically. And so this game was developed real fast, okay? And so I mean according to the wiki, now you can take this for what for what you want. But this thing was being from from being made to be until it was being play tested, it was like months. It was like a few months. Like they knocked this thing out in a hurry. But they were just looking for something they could do uh, conversions with and stuff. They didn't think much of it. And so they put this thing out into uh test and like it was really, really popular. And Tato was like, "Whoa, wait a minute here, hold the phone." Tato isn't stupid. They're gonna, they're gonna go to the pay window with this. So they come back, they pretty this thing up, uh, they get a good cabinet for it, and they release this thing onto the world. And it was instantly a hit in Japan, a big, big hit. Uh, uh, this was officially released in December of '86. Uh, uh, North America got it a few months later. Uh, just in case you haven't played uh, this game, it is a the original Arkanoid one-player game. You can, with a hot seat two-player version, uh, and this thing had the old spinner as the uh, control mechanism, and it had one button uh, that you use for uh, for a few of the powers and start start the ball rolling. Uh, this is exactly like Breakout, except uh, they've spiced it up. Of course, the graphics uh the sound this was made on what they called the in-house taito uh g- game programming system one of the things taito has is that they've got this they've got a feeling to their games i mean everything from the what the font they use in a lot of them the, and the graphic the way the graphics look they their games have a specific feel to them and this absolutely. Feel, this absolutely feels like a taito game yeah, yeah, it has all the all the earmarks, and even the sound and stuff is what you would expect. Um, so in this game, uh, you the, the plot of this game involves uh, the starship Arkanoid being now. Attacked. Remember, you just said plot to a breakout. It's game. got a plot. Go hey, I'm just telling. I you. I know it's uh the, the it involves the starship Arkanoid that being attacked by an entity from space named Doe, like as in homers Doe. Uh, he uh, and so your ship. Is The paddle you play is actually a ship, and it's called the Voss. I didn't know that. Did you know that thing had a name? So I didn't that, know it had a name. The paddle is called the Voss. Uh, and your job is to keep the ball a- uh, alive, to to knock out the bricks, and then occasionally you'll also uh, whack aliens that are coming down from the top of the screen or from the sides uh, that just sort of get up, get up in the mix. Uh, the Voss has multiple uh, power-ups. These are things that separated it from the original uh, set of breakout games. The power-ups are what make this game uh, the work. Uh, you've got uh, a power-up that will make the vase expand in size. There's a, there's a power-up that it splits the balls into three balls. Uh, there's a power-up that will slow the ball down because the ball gets rolling pretty quick. It makes it a lot harder to, to play. Uh, there's a uh, power-up that gives you extra life. There's a power-up that lets you hold the, the ball on your vase, so you can sort of just use the button to strategic move your, your uh, paddle into place and hit the button and shoot the ball off. There's also a, a power that lets you uh, shoot, you know, like lasers. And then lastly, there's also one that will just basically end the level, or end it early if you pick it up. And these power-ups these power will come down as you break bricks. Uh, and they will be labeled with a color, and and usually have a little like uh, like a letter on them as well as they come down. Um, again, I mentioned that the game uses the uh, uh, the paddle, which was uh, necessary in these games. But uh, it's funny that despite the fact that this was an arcade game that used a paddle, thus so successful was this game that it got reported to every conceivable place on earth. Uh, yeah. Just to, just to go over a few of the places this got ported. Uh, Of course, uh, all the 8-bits got it, the Amstrad, Apple, uh, uh, the Atari 8-bits, the ST, the Micro, the C64, DOS, Mac, uh, the NES got a really good port, uh, which I'm sure you probably played back in the day. Y'all let you talk about that. With controller. Yeah, PC-88 and 89, the Sharp X1, the Thompson got it, Brent. Uh, The the, uh, TRS-80 Coco got an official version, which is great. You know, I think it's a Coco 3. Uh, the the and the ZX got it, it's on ISO or iOS, I should say. It was pretty much if if it could be uh could play a game, it got released for it. Most of the versions, uh, you would just play it with the controller. That got a little bit easier later on when the controls became uh more uh having uh, analogs. But a lot of the you know in the old days, a lot of times you are just pretty much bone. However, there were versions of this that got released with its own controller. And Brent mentioned. That the NES got it one, which had a, uh, um, which had its own uh, spinner. Now, how did how 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 would you rate that controller, Brice? Since you actually played on that one, I, I, the spinner on it is small. Yeah.
1: Um, but the control on it it feels good enough.
0: It, I mean, it's a good controller. It's a good controller. <clears throat> um, one of the things that I like about this game is aside from the fact that it's you know fast action, it's simple to pick up. Is uh, they really did a good job with the backgrounds, the coloring, and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it, one of the reasons it looks like it does is because the uh, the graphics designer on this was inspired by Tron. He loved the movie Tron, so there's lots of that kind of neony look to it. I really, it's not like super Trony, but you can sort of see where he pulled that out of. Uh, and <clears throat> uh, and the music in this also, the t- Tato had an in-house band. That did the, which is I love the fact that you've got a house band, uh, for this, and so they they're the ones that actually did the did the colors or did the audio on it. Uh, Most versions of this game have thirty three levels. The NES version actually had thirty six levels. When you at the end, you take on like a boss battle with Doe, and then that's the end of the game. So this this game does have an ending uh, to it. Uh, When this was released. It became one of Tato's most profitable games. Uh, it was the most popular game in August '86, according to Game Machine, and it was the top-grossing arcade table. <clears throat> excuse me, for six months, and it was the top-grossing arcade table until until February of '87 in the United States. It was the highest-grossing arcade conversion kit of '87 in the UK. It was the fourth highest-grossing arcade game of '86 and uh, Euromax listed it as the third most popular arcade game in Europe during 87. So this thing hung around and made money, and this is the kind of game that you could sit down in your arcade, and it's going to attract people. I guarantee you I could put an Arkanoid out in, in the field today, and people would come over and try it. It's just one of those games. It's got that universal appeal of being able to be picked up quickly. The fact that it's only got the one button, you and you don't really use that all that much. And you've got the spinner. The people like the spinner. Critically, this thing was put over like a million bucks. People love the home translations. It's one of those great arcade games that you can translate to even low-end machines and make it look great. People heralded the Amiga version. This is arcade perfect. But it was pretty much... Everyone loved it on everything. It it won all kinds of awards on all the consoles. uh, As you can imagine, EGM ranked the NES version... The, 40, the 41st best console video game of all time, and that's on the NES, and that's of all time on across all uh, genres and all uh, 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 game systems, so that's pretty high praise from EGM. Uh, of course, it sold great at home, and so you knew sequels were coming. <clears throat> it's funny, I'd never heard of a couple of these, Brent. Uh, there's a tournament, Arkanoid, that was released exclusively in the United States. Did you ever see one of these? No, never heard of it. I didn't either. By the way, I should mention that in the U.S., Romstar distributed these, so often you'll see Romstar's logo uh, on these games. Uh, the sequel to this, Revenge of Doe, was released uh, in 87, late 87. <clears throat> I think if you ask people what the go-to Arkanoid was, they would probably say Revenge of Doe. Wouldn't you agree on that?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it
0: basically was the same game, but better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there have been a million Arkanoids since. I mean, it's on everything. It's on live arcades. Uh, it's, uh, there was an Arkanoid versus Space Invaders mashup for iOS and Android. That might be kind of neat. I can see how that would work. So I, I, I can be down with that. And even recently, as, as uh, the last generation of systems, there are new Arkanoid titles being released. Uh, in fact, uh, this month, uh, the Switch, the PS4, the PS5, the Xbox One are all getting a new game called Arkanoid Eternal Battle. So, despite the fact that this came out so long ago, it's still getting a lot of uh, a lot of praise and a lot of jack. Now, before my, I make my argument, Brent, on why I think this is a genre definer, give us your thoughts on the old Arkanoid. I hate it. Really?
1: I hate these type of games. They're so, in my mind, they're so monotonous. Uh, I think the controls, not as in you moving the paddle, but just the the technical gameplay elements of the controls is horrible. Yes, I know you can kind of direct your shots. Yes, I know you have some control of the ball. But when you're spending 45 seconds to to minutes trying to get one brick and there's no risk of dying. There's no risk of losing. It's just you monotonously watching this ball ping around, and you can't do anything about it until you get it right in the right place to, to get that last brick, or it gets stuck, and it's just ping-ponging and back and forth between two sections, and you're just watching it, watching it just sit there and do its thing. I hate these games. I hate breakouts. I hate Arkanoids. I hate most of the things that spawned from it. It is just not my genre of game. That doesn't make it a bad genre of game. It's just not for me.
0: Wow, I actually thought you... I'm surprised you didn't like this one. I have mentioned hundreds of times on this show
1: how much I hate breakout games.
0: I try to not pay attention generally to what you say on here. So, uh, listen, much like Rogue, I'm not going to sit here and say you're dumb... Uh, for not liking it, but uh, you're dumb. So uh, when it comes to these sorts of games, I think I think uh, Arkanoid is the clear uh, top top of the heap. I was never the biggest fan of of the breakout games. I, mean, I thought they were okay, uh, and yeah, I know they they derive from Pong. I never thought Super Breakout was all that great either. Uh, I it took this game to to really get me on board, and I think I mean yes, you could say the Paddling ball games uh, were certainly defined by Breakout. But I think by the time '86 rolled around, that genre had died. I mean, effectively, there was nothing coming out that was like this. And so Correct. I think I I, don't, I think yes, certainly, Arcanoid redefined the genre of bat and ball games. But I think you can make a case for the fact that it literally brought it back from the dead, uh, because you're talking about if you think about what was going on in the arcades in '86 and '87, there was a lot of sweet action out there. And the, and the, if someone had told you in '85 that the number one game for six months in Japan was going to be a bat and ball game. You'd call him a liar. You know, it's a zero chance of that happening. So I think there's plenty of reasons that you could uh, use that would let you say that this game basically brought that genre back from the dead. This is a game. I would agree with that. This is a game I can easily see owning uh, too. These things oh, I used gosh, to see them no. all the time. And and what makes these fun? I like games like this to own because of the spinner. The spinner is great. I love having a good spinner game, and for these bat and ball games, I don't even with an analog joystick, it just doesn't. That doesn't do the job. That is no. the one downside of a game like this playing it at home. You and can't I will recreate say, it. I will
1: say that the the spinner on Arkanoid is absolutely top notch. Yeah, it's the metal uh, it's a, one. It's it, the nice one. It's a one. big, heavy spinner. Yeah. Uh, it has no edges, uh, as in you can just spin it freely, uh, and it. It feels good. It feels precise. Um, I can see where some people say it's a little loose, because you can definitely overspin. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's one of the, if not the top flight spinner of all arcade games, it's it's among the top flight.
0: Well, I'm gonna I'm not going to say that, because not with Tempest is still walking around. That I, said among, awesome. <clears throat> I said among. That was awesome. And the funny among. thing about a game like Arkanoid, unlike a game like Tempest, where you need a spinner that's a free a free wheeling super spinner, like really the the amount of real estate you're going in in uh Arkham, you're not going that far. So the All fact right. that you could you've got a, the spinner of doom. It was a good spinner. I, uh, now I, sometimes you would get different spinners. I mean, depending on what arcade you're in, but I mean, I think the well, one the I always official, used, yeah, yeah. You know, I couldn't end this without mentioning this. <clears throat> so. We mentioned that Breakout and Super Breakout and Pong. These are all Atari joints, you know. And so here comes Arkanoid. You know, in 86, it's not like Atari just folded up the tents. They were like, hey, wait a minute. That looks a lot like Super Breakout and Breakout. We're going to take you to school. And so Atari filed a lawsuit. And by on- school, you mean court. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in in and uh, uh, there was an article in Cashbox. I had to dig for this because it's not well documented. I found a, uh, someone had put this up on Twitter. Uh, in t- Cashbox Magazine, December 26, 1987, there's a little article here. I'm just going to read it real quick. It's called Atari Files Suit. Uh, Atari Games Corporation of uh, California announced that has filed suit in the Northern District Court of Illinois against ROM star Tato Corporation, uh, Tato and, uh, Corporation of America involving the game Arkanoid. In the suit, Atari claims that the defendants infringed on their copyrights and practiced unfair competition in the audiovisual works of Breakout and Super Breakout and then they go on to some extra uh, baloney. In uh, commenting on the suit, Dennis Wood, a senior vice president of Atari Games Corporation, said Atari must take a firm stand in the case to protect the copyright of the company's innovative games. Uh, of course, Atari is seeking a judgment for all damages and legal fees, the usual stuff from Atari. And it always always laugh at how litigious Atari is, considering how on Atari is legally. Yeah. And if, yeah. if, you, if you think if you think to yourself, that Atari horked the whole gimmick of Pong you know. So from Ralph Bear, and one would wonder how they have a leg to stand on. Now, the funny thing about this is, the reason I came upon this is, a, is a, there's a little section in Moby. Uh, they talk about uh, it, uh, the uh, uh, ports of this game, and one of the ports they talk about is a Firebird version. Firebird, it's funny, I, I just saw Kim Justice is doing a video series on uh, some publishers, and Firebird's one of them, and they were producing a CCC4 version of this game, and they were they they thought okay Atari's going to win this lawsuit, so we're going to work something out with Atari so we can do the so we could do this game. Well, when Atari ended up losing the lawsuit, Firebird was basically yeah. left out in the cold because Atari did lose this lawsuit to Taito, obviously because the game's still around. So right. that did strike me as amusing that fire. So they ended up screwing Firebird as well. Uh, lastly, just in terms of uh, finishing up the uh i looked this up on ebay uh right now it's funny they were giving these away when we were back in the day Brent you'll recall we saw arkanoids and revenge of Does everywhere when yep. we were doing arcade stuff those days are over just the pcb they're asking about 180 bucks for and the uh, uh a full on uh machine uh, it, it says it's dedicated you never know until you get there in fact i don't know how many dedicated uh uh there are. If I'm honest, probably, I, I probably quite a few. I uh, would say quite a few because the game was so popular. Yeah, and maybe they made a lot. I don't know. But the convergent gr- I know, was around. Uh, if you want a dedicated versus, I saw a uh, guy asking th- three thousand three, $3 hundred dollars. Oh, and, giraj, and a, a, a converted Zaxxon CAD that was going. This guy would cut you, cut you a deal for thirteen hundred bucks. Take this thing to the house. Um, we did get some uh, reviews uh, on uh, Discord. Again, John Bodovcar Schaller chimed in. Arkanoid, uh, while, it, while it's hard to make the argument that Breakout isn't the Johnny Defying game in this category, Arkanoid brought much more excitement and variety to the table. I always thought this ship is paddle story was kind of bonkers, but the game still holds up after all these years and was never really improved upon, with, uh, except with its sequel, Ridge of Doom. 9 out of 10. Uh, Lord Soup chimed in. Uh, Proof that humanity can make the right decisions, sometimes. How do we improve Breakout? Lasers? Genius! 8 out of 10! uh, Lastly, our good buddy Pajaco chimes in. Like Pong and Breakout, Arkanoid was massively cloned and ported to pretty much every home system. This is proof that Arkanoid is the shiz. The storyline is a bit tacked on and coming up against Doe is right out of Tron, but it all just works. The music... Although sparse, is iconic, and the graphics, although simple, are fantastic. An arcade classic that should be played when you get the chance. The only downside is that if you really need a, is that you really need a spinner to play this properly on mame. But that's no fault of the game. Pause the video right now and go play nine out of ten. So hey, not bad for once. I liked both of our offerings. Yeah. Did, did I make a case here, Brent, for this thing being you're defining, or are you going to hold oh, me? I- I, I think it is more genre redefining, but I'll let you off the hook. Thanks, this man. This definitely isn't your worst crime. It's also funnier than, uh, than Battle Chess. I will also mention <laughs> that. You know what else is kind of funny, Brent? It's funny how people don't know about our favorite advertising joint, our good buddies up north. You know who they are, Brent. I'm gonna. You, you know, you have to be talking about Retro Bam! Look at that. I even brought the sign in. There it is, RetroRewind.ca. Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny. We did uh, International Computer Club last night, and our good buddy Frank was there, uh, along with many of the luminaries in uh, classic gaming computers. And guess what? Everyone knows Frank. Everyone deals with Frank. Uh, all the top guys. All your YouTube heroes. They all deal with Frank. Why is that, you think? I'll tell you why. Because they're not going to go and deal with some uh, goofs, some fly by night organization. They're going to deal with the top-shelf, top-flight operator in this business, and that is RetroRewind.ca. Located just north of here in Canada. Uh, Frank is the guy that will take care of all your classic computer needs. Do you have a Commodore 64, a C-128, uh, an Amiga CDTV, any of these uh, Commodore machines, uh, and you're trying to get these things working, you're trying to get them back in action, Frank's your hookup. Do you need diagnostic tools? Do you need diagnostic ROMs? Do you need replacement parts? Do you need cap kits? L- last night, uh, Chris Edwards said, your number one go-to for cap kits, because of the quality of the cap kit, is none other than RetroRewind.ca, because he's and using you know, the best Aaron, parts. You know,
1: Aaron, when you when you work with Frank at RetroRewind.ca... You don't have to worry about getting random encounters. He is spot on every time. You're not going to get bad service one time, good
0: service the next. It's good service 24-7 with him. Exactly. He's redefining the genre of top shelf classic computer sellers and repairs. And also, Frank will take care of your repairs too, if you're so inclined. Please check him out at RetroRewind.ca A fine fellow. Now, on to the business of hand, Brent. It's time to have another round of the wheel. I added a couple pieces this week, uh, Brent, if I can I, I instruct you to look here at the uh, at the wheel. Uh, the first one we've got, this is a suggestion from Rushi. Protagonists based on sentient inanimate objects. Okay, that's, gonna, that's Absolutely. a mouthful. Uh, the retro rewind piece this week is the, uh, hey, because I wore this, it's the Nintendo, the Nintendo 64. So we've got a couple of new ones on there. Are you ready to go to the brand? I know this light's kind of brown. I'm going to move this. Here we go, are you ready? Give it a spin. Uh! And the winner is. Oh, oh, sweet lord. But oh, I got I'm so happy to see it. It's wrestling games. Wrestling, wrestling games. games. Who suggested this one? The, that su- bad boy. Suggested by <laughs> Dryer Lint. Bam. Dryer Lint. You've done it again. Dryer lint seventeen suggests wrestling games. A man after my own heart, Brent. I know I could see the chat room going wild for the pick this week. Wrestling games. Paul Kitchen can't get enough. He's so excited. I'm so happy, Paul, that you uh, find that that a, a, a tantalizing uh, wheel piece. Listen, now, you got think there are all kinds of different wrestling games, including games that don't involve actual wrestlers. So, I have <laughs> I have one restriction. Yes. I have one. Restric- we can't pick WrestleFest. Well, I think we've already covered wrestling. In fact, we've covered <laughs> quite a few wrestling games, so we're going to have to go outside our comfort zone here. Oh, uh, I know what I'm picking, baby. To co- to co- Absolutely. I- I'm already ready to go. Very good. Very good. Hey, listen, I want to take this uh, opportunity here at the end of the show to thank everyone who participated in last night's International Computer Club. I was thankful that it technically went without a hitch. Uh, and. <laughs> Uh, uh uh we had a lot of uh great guests on last night, including uh Brent. The first I don't know, forty minutes or so was a uh talk from Mr. David Pleasance, which was very nice. Uh and we like to thank Frank uh Retro for getting David to come out and join us last night. Frank was there as well. Uh, like I said, we had all Doug from Ten uh Ten Minute Amiga Retro Cast was there and Chris Edwards Pints and Amiga, a bunch of guys uh that, that you know and love were there. Uh, and we got a lot of interesting stuff. People from all over the world. I really appreciate everybody turning out. I hope, I hope uh, you enjoyed on some level. Now, uh, the next thing on our list, Brent, because you know we always got an upcoming. I'm going to announce a couple, just a couple things today. I'm looking at Saturday, uh, the 29th of October, uh, or Friday. It'll be one of the two. I'm not sure. it will be Friday or Saturday. It might be Friday, the 28th of October. Now think about it. We're going to run. We're going to bring it back because it much like uh, the genre of the bat and ball game. This can't be killed. It's conversations from the dark side. One night only. Uh, it will be uh, coming out, and Brent's even going to participate in this one. Uh, this is our paranormal, ghosty call-in show. Uh, I'm going to literally take off all the stops. There will be no stops. This. Sh- I'm begging to get people into this thing. So we're going to get something going. I don't know how you know what we're going to do, but we're going to get something going. So if you're into some ghosty goodness. That'll be October. Uh, the last week in October 20th, 29th. We'll announce the exact date in the, in the next week or so. I also want to mention, Brent, that uh, coming up in just a in just a, mu- a little over two months, a little less than two months, I should say, will be ARG's uh, Thanks for Giving Marathon. I yes. believe this year it's going to be uh, November 25th, Friday. And uh, this will be our uh, marathon where me and Brent uh, just play a bunch of games we have a wacky good time, spin the wheel, get together, and uh, play games for a, a, a good while, uh, and uh, uh, you know, chat with people. And it's our way of giving uh, you guys a little thanks for all the support you give us all year long, and all of our shows across the board, including stuff like uh, Boat Fest and the Amigathon and International Computer Club. Really, our our whole channel is just held up by our uh, our friends, the people that come to watch us. You know, if if uh, you're doing if you're doing shows and there's no one there to see them, you know what's the point? So it's nice to have people that support us. They uh, well, I like I like to hear myself talk. I do occasionally just put on a show by myself. It's because I talk about stuff no one else cares about. Like like, here's my favorite pair of pants. Let's say we do a show on it. You know, I am. Uh, but uh, so that will be coming up. I believe that uh, once again that will be uh, the last. Uh, it'll be the last Friday in November, which would be the 25th of November, Brent. I think. I think, Brent, that's all we've got until next week when we look at wrestling games. Any, any final thoughts? Uh, no. Okay, fair enough. Adios, everyone. Play your hey, bat and everybody. ball game and play some road. See you later.
1: Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the show. A special thank you to Duck and Styles for our vector style graphics and Bartbit for our amazing music. Would you like to help keep ARG spinning? You can do so at patreon.com slash ARG Presents. Just like these fine folks. Dryerlint17, Laurent Garout, Templar Mar, Z9K9, Jerry Dennington, John Dykeman, Retro-ology. Air Airshack, Texas Foosballer, Sundown, Orom rom Super Tech Boy, David Terrence, Mr. B, Roushey, Graham W. Vetke, Dave Velociraptor, Bernhardt Lucas, Steve Rathmussen, Anthony Jarvis, Better Blitter, Pajako6502, Kevin Bean, Andy Jones, Andy Craig, Rob Flack-O'Hara, Jason Warnes, Mitsuyama, Chris Foles, Frodo et al, The Slow Norris, Terry Howard, Olaf Hope, and Rolo. They all have access to our Discord channel, their name called out in the credits and visualized in the ending scene. Have an idea for a wheel piece? You can send it to us at argpresents at mail.com.